Hebrews 3, verses 13 to 15. Hebrews is a great book, and even though we don't know the author, we don't really know the audience, we do know that it was written for a group of Jews who were struggling, wanting to go back in many ways to Judaism, what they had experienced. And the whole book, you can, you can think of it as one theme, that Jesus is supreme over all things. Chapter 1, it's all about his divinity. He's God. He's supreme over angels. Chapter 2, humanity. He's supreme over Moses and Old Testament law. Chapter 3, where we are today. Hebrews tells us, even the best of saints needs to be cautioned against the worst of evils, that no one has arrived spiritually, that we regularly need individuals, we need other believers involved in our lives. So I want to ask you, if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are there Christians in your life who know, know how you are doing, not just How are you doing? Oh, yeah, good, fine, work's going well. Those who are able to get under your hood, who you've given meddling rights to, that you don't get offended when they do ask you hard questions and tell you hard things that you don't like to hear, but that you know you need to hear. Do you have the humility to receive that from other brothers and sisters who come to you in the deepest of love. To grow in Christ, this is exactly what must take place in our lives. So let's just read Hebrews 3, verses 12 down just a little bit. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Please pray with me. God, just praise you that you hold us. We know that when we're born again, when we're a true saint, we don't lose our salvation. Lord, we don't lose the Holy Spirit that's in us. But God, we also know that sin is deceptive and it's challenging in our life and it can lead us, if we don't deal with it and repent of it, to a place of hardness. Lord, please use your word now to minister to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there just a touch of feedback on this? Is it okay? Does it sound okay? As a Christian, you have the ministry of the church to you, right? The preach word, the sacraments, the ministry of the Holy Spirit— God's Word. And often we think that that's, that's it. That's all I need. And that's true. Those are means of grace to you. But there's also other believers in our lives that we desperately need. I'll never forget after uni, university, 
I was raising support to go overseas, and I'd only been a believer for a few years, and I, I probably had more zeal than knowledge or godliness for sure. And so I go and I speak to a small congregation, and I'm so excited, and I'm telling them about where I'm going in Asia and what I'm going to be doing there. And I say, and there are 2,000 people that applied for this program, and only a handful were chosen. And everybody said, oh, wow, ooh, wow. And the next day, a good friend of mine, he comes up to me, and he said, "Um, Rusty, where'd you get that number 2,000? And I said, well, the mission agency said lots of people wanted to do this ministry. And he said, you know, a lot could be 20, maybe not 2,000. He said, Rusty, that was lying, to make yourself look good. And I, I thanked him, but deep down, I was like a volcano. I was so angry. How dare he call me out? I was not lying. I was just telling a good story, right? I was just making it interesting. After a few days, I realized he was exactly right, and I had to go back and repent of lying to make myself look better. And I realized I often exaggerated stories to make myself look good in the eyes of others. Now, he probably, in those first couple years of my conversion, had 20 conversations with me, which radically changed my life. My friend was modeling something that every Christian is involved or called to, and that is to be involved deeply in the lives of others for their exhortation and for their encouragement. Now, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews tells us here in Hebrews 3. It's a great command. Exhort one another every day with God's Word. Why? Because it's so easy for the heart to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, sin deceives us so that we never see our heart accurately. There are blind spots in all of our lives. And the truth is, the way we see ourselves is like a carnival mirror never accurate because of how deceptive sin is in my life. So there's always pockets, deep pockets of spiritual blindness. So we must have others directly involved in my life. Now that doesn't mean I go around with the spiritual gift of rebuke all the time, but real insight into your heart and my heart often comes from other believers. I'll say it like this. I need you to exhort and encourage me so I can really see and understand what's going on in my heart. I need you as brothers and sisters to exhort and encourage me so I can grow in Christ's likeness, and so do you as well. Now that means there's got to be two qualities that God's got to give you. First, you've got to be courageous to love and exhort people when God shows you in patience helping others to see themselves in areas that they're blind to. And secondly, you've got to be humble. You've got to be approachable and ready to receive teaching from others and thank them for showing areas in your life that you're blind to, that they come to you and love so you can be more Christ-like. So here's the main idea. If you're taking notes today, please write this down. 
To see yourself clearly, others must hold the mirror of God's word before you. Uh, to, to see your own life clearly, we need others to hold up before us the mirror of God's word. Okay, should we dive in? One person wants to dive in. Just one this morning. Okay, well, the two of us will dive in. Point one, our hearts are full of deceptive sin. Our hearts are full of deceptive sin. Look at verse 12 with me. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Stop there. What's described here is a process. There's a process, almost like steps, that I've seen play out again and again and again in the believer's lives. It starts when a person gives in to evil or sin, and those desires begin to grow in the heart, and they begin on a road to serious hardness. A married lady is very involved in a church that I was previously pastoring. And for many years, she'd done incredible ministry to the immigrant community. Suddenly, her children leave home. She becomes bored. She starts to get to know a man at work where she worked. She begins to notice how he treats people, how kind he is to her. The questions he asks her are really, really good. The kind of questions she whisked her husband would ask her. She decides to go for coffee with him one day. They have an amazing conversation, the kind of conversation she's been wanting to have for years. He really understands her, she thinks. So, in her mind, she thinks, with my kids leaving, I need more friends. After all, he's just a colleague. It's not very long before he offers to take her home. And in the car ride on the way home, he holds her hand. And he tells her this, I, I so appreciate your friendship. You are the most important friend I have. She begins to think, I wish I was not married. Maybe I married the wrong man. And she begins to daydream consistently about another life that she wants to have. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is convicting her. She's uneasy, but she goes forward. She finds herself saying again and again, you know, I've done nothing wrong. That it's my husband's fault. The Bible doesn't forgive friendship. And if he would only invest deeper in me, then I wouldn't have to pursue friendships outside of our marriage. She backs away from the church, her husband, her Christian friends. She finds herself drifting further away from God, her community, as her sin is hardening her heart. Now, there's a progression here of the deceptive nature of sin. Look in your scriptures. Verse 12, notice what he says. Take care, brothers. Notice he's talking about brothers. He's talking to Christians here. Take care, brothers. Christians like you and like me. And he's warning them, take care. And it's, it's almost like a danger sign. Like if you're going down the road, literally it means like, beware beyond this point. Take notice. Beware. There's a giant curve or there's a cliff. That's what he's saying here. Okay? Beware of what? Look there with me again. Lest there be any of you with an evil, 
unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from this living God. Now look at verse 13. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see the progression? Sinful, unbelieving, turns to turning away from God and community, turns to a hardened heart. Here's the work of sin in our lives. If undealt with and unrepented of it, and allowed to rule our heart, it takes us towards unbelief, a gradual turning away from God towards believers or, and his church, his grace, and the ultimate goal is a hardened heart and a separation from God. Now, you might be thinking, okay, but how does this happen to a believer? Verse 13, look there with me. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. On the cross, Jesus destroyed the power of sin, yes, in our lives. But Romans 6 says it, you're no longer slaves to sin, but its presence is still there. It, it is being eradicated, and it's being replaced by glory while we are in this life. But we need to remember one thing. It's deceptive. you got to catch that. Sin is deceitful, which means it tries to blind us. Who does it blind? You and me from seeing our own hearts. Now, what I find is generally we see everybody else's heart and their failings very well, like it's in right before us. But we all have pockets of spiritual blindness in our own lives. Matthew 7, 3, Jesus says it this way, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eyes, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? That's a question. You know what the answer is? Because sin is deceptive. Never have a right judgment of our own hearts. you, you got to get that. you got to understand that, that you don't see your heart and your life perfectly clear and with transparency because of the sin that's in your own heart. you got to get that. I, I've got a need here. I really need. I don't understand myself as well as I think because there's sin there. And it's always trying to deceive me. Now, the lady I spoke of earlier, I saw the deceptiveness of her life clearer than ever. She went from opening the door to this relationship to unbelief. She turned away from the church, her family, and her heart was hard. Today, she's out of the church. She's separated from her family. She's alienated from her friends. She lives a very hard, gospelless existence. And this was a lady that was doing some of the most fantastic gospel ministry I've ever seen in the church. We see ourselves like in a circus mirror, my friends. Never accurately, since we all have pockets of sin remaining in our lives, and it is deceptive. Therefore, we have pockets of spiritual blindness. Now notice, before we move on, there are no haves and have-nots. I'm not talking to you and not me. It's a mutual need that we all have. We all have blind areas. Let's go to point two. Okay, how am I to take care? You say that there's a roadblock here, a signage, and he's saying be 
Beware, take care. What of? Point two. We need each other to really see our own hearts. Verse 13, if you'll look there in your Bibles with me. Verse 13. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Stop. Notice that word, exhort. It's a cool word, and it means, in in the Greek, it's parakaleo. And the reason I tell you that is it's a similar word to paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. He's saying that we're called to refresh each other with God's Word. It literally means to hold before other believers the mirror of God's Word. That's our calling. Hebrews 10.24 says it like this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. What's the antidote for the deceitfulness of sin in my own life and the hardening that it produces and where it wants to take me? You are. When you see things in my life, you're called to take up the mirror of God's Word and hold it before me. I desperately need you so I can become more Christ-like. You see that? Now, notice, it's a communal thing. Look in your Bibles there. Notice how he says that word, one another. Exhorting and encouraging with the word is not just a job for the pastor or the elders or someone who's been a believer for 30 years. It's communal. It's a whole church. We are called to mutual watchfulness. Mutual watchfulness. You see, my friends, the Holy Spirit uses you in the lives of other believers. Now, okay, that sounds a bit scary. How often do I have to do that? Look at the Bible there with me once more. Exhort one another every day (laughs) as long as it is called today. Hang on. Are you saying every day I've got to get on the phone and I've got to call all these people and say, Hey, Susan, I just need to exhort you today, sister. Get out of bed. Go spend time with God. Okay, I've got to call Randy. I've got to let you go. Bye-bye. Because <laughs> that sounds pretty scary to me. Maybe I need to go to a different church. No. It just means this. You must be willing. You must be willing And you must be able every day to speak God's word into other believers' lives when you see them going down this path, walking down the path of sin, unrepentant, unbelief, turning away, and their heart is being hard. Now, what I have found personally is when I see someone who is blind and they're heading down that path, And I don't, because of fear, say anything to them. And I refuse to love them with God's word. I watch as they go over the edge. And all it does is get worse and worse. And their heart gets harder and harder. Now, what the Scripture is calling you to and to me to is hard. It's real hard. And it only comes by the strength of the Holy Spirit in us. It only comes by the work of Christ in you. And so I hope you're feeling right now, I can't do this. That's right, you can't, nor can I. And in that feeling, I don't run from my obligation. I run to Christ, don't I? 
And I say, I can't do this. I'm afraid. I see what's happening in this person's life. Give me the strength to do this and show me in the Word how to do it. Let me tell you what a win looks like. What a win looks like. My friend George, he was like a car speeding off a cliff. He had a deep, bad stuff computer addiction. He had anger addictions, and he was incredibly selfish. His marriage was on the brink for years, but he was a believer. He really loved Christ, and gradually I could see change. Now, here is how I knew George would be on that path is on Sunday, his wife would be sitting in pew three, and he would not be there. He's here, but he'd be outside pretending to do something spiritual. I'm, I'm, I'm helping the sick child outside, or I'm in the nursery. And that was a sign that he did not want to sit under the preaching of the Word or to come worship. Now, during those times, I would go and I would meet with him, and he didn't want to. <laughs> And so I would just show up at his work. And I'd say, hey, it's lunch. I've got two sandwiches. Come on, let's go sit in my car. And I'd do this for two or three days. And it was incredible to watch that hard heart soften as we would just read and pray together. And he would break, and he would repent. And one time, I was so busy for three or four months, I hadn't got a chance to go see him, and I knew his struggles. And so I just showed up at his work that day, and he said, Rusty, I was going to have an affair tonight, and I was going to leave my wife this weekend. We got him in three months of biblical counseling, and for days we exhorted him with God's word, and he repented, and he turned, and to my knowledge, God used it for a lot of grace and a lot of healing in his life. Listen, my friends, to see ourselves clearly, we must have others hold up God's word in front of us. Now, this has several implications for your life and for our church, and we'll close with this. First, courageous love. The gospel, the scriptures, Jesus is calling you to courageous love. He's not calling you or giving you a right to have the spiritual gift of rebuke. It doesn't mean you're called to be the junior Holy Spirit where you go around every person's sin, you're calling them to the carpet. It means insight into people's lives comes in community. I need you to see and point out through the Word the sin and blind spots that I'm not dealing with in my life. And the question to you is, will you be courageous? Will you trust the Lord? Will you actually love me as a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, someone else? It means, will you be more concerned about what you can give than what you might lose? Or will you let fear, a heart filled with what you might lose if you do this, rule you? I want to encourage you, love each other, which means when the Holy Spirit shows you a sinful, blind area in another's life that they are not repenting of, and you see them moving away from Christ because of it, you have an obligation not to come to me and say, Rusty, you need to go talk to her. You have an obligation to take God's Word after much prayer 
and with trepidation of the heart and go to that brother or sister and with the greatest amount of grace and compassion, show them, point out to them their own sin and the hardness of their heart. That's how you love them. Second, you've got to be willing to be loved. You've got to be approachable and you've got to be correctable. Receiving correction is one of the hardest things for us. Do you know why? Because of our hidden sin of pride. (laughs) Pride's hidden and we think we're not, but it's there. And the proof of it is we're not very correctable. To grow and to know Christ, we must be able to receive correction with a thankful, approachable heart. Listen, sanctification is painful But the end is glory to Christ and joy in Christ as we get closer to him. So I want to say, when someone comes to you, thank them. Don't excuse your sin. The gospel gives us the freedom to not justify our sin, but we can own it. And we can run to Christ knowing that we're forgiven and then ask him in his grace to change us. That's gospel grace to you. Lastly, find community. Find community. Live in community. I I can't come to you, nor can anyone else, if no one knows you, if you live an isolated Christian life, if you're a lone sheep that's not part of God's people, then there's a means of grace. There's no way I can come to you because I don't know you, nor can anyone else. You've got to live in community. I can come to you because I don't know you nor can anyone else. You've got to live in community. So I wanted to just practically encourage you. We do things here at the church to foster community so people can know you and you can know them. One of them is Wednesday night and our discipleship groups kicked off next year. Another one is our Sunday school classes kicking off next year. Please take the summer and pray about that because you need people deeply involved in your life as do I. Amen? Heavenly Father, we just praise you that there's so many great means of grace, but one of them is fellowship and having other believers come along beside us because sin is deceitful and it blinds us. I never see myself accurately, nor does anyone else in this room. Yet other brothers and sisters have eyes to see ears to hear, and we need them. Lord, I pray two things. Help us to be bold in love where we see people moving down this track to a hardened heart. Lord, help us in humility to go to them and exhort them. Hold up the mirror of God's Word so they can see their own life. They can see it. We're given them by the power of the Spirit and the Word eyes to see. Lord, in the same time, help us to be teachable. The gospel frees us not to justify our sins and not to excuse it, but to own it because we're forgiven and we have a merciful Savior who can change us. Lord, help us to walk in humility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.